I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All right. Well, uh, this is going to be really interesting because we are sitting down with Amanda, who is the founder and CEO of iMaster Health. Love that name. Um, but also, Amanda, you're a kinesiologist, a certified clinical exercise physio, physio, physiologist? Yes. yes. <laughs> what is a physiologist? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just do lots of things that are with anatomy health wise like we're really my job is to help with giving exercises giving health guidance for individuals with chronic health conditions Mm. i could not be further from jeremy's understanding of physiology i think that exercise physiology is like the coolest thing in the world and something that i i'm not i'm pulling a brian here something that i am now in my 30s like regretting that I wasn't as scientifically uh, inclined as a, as a, like a teenager because exercise physiology would be right up my alley these days. What Tiller's trying to say is that he has a whoop strap and he yeah. like <laughs> likes yeah. to look at his little charts that and is, shit. That is literally everything behind uh, him. And he's like, now I'm yeah. essentially yeah. an exercise yeah. physiologist. Yeah, he just yes. updated his iPhone to the yeah. newest iOS and yeah. was like, I'm a physiologist. Yeah. Um, it goes, it goes no that. deeper than that. That's the, it just, it's just, it's just, it's just a total surface level thing and that's it. What's the, uh, what's the difference between a clinical exercise physiologist and say like a physiotherapist? Uh, so we're kind of just more so dealing with prescribing exercises that are mm. more so like from, I guess, working with a physiotherapist. So physiotherapists are doing a lot of the assessments on the musculoskeletal system and everything like that. And we're working side by side, making sure that they're continuing an exercise routine. Uh, for me personally, we're working with chronic respiratory conditions. So things that are enhancing your respiratory muscles. And yeah, so it's really kind of the schooling part and then the assessment part of things at the end of the day is the difference. Mm, cool. Um, so our uh, our mutual friend, Natalia, kind of introduced us and and uh, Natalia reached out because you, you just recently, I think it, like in the last week or so, um, launched iMaster Health. And, uh, of course, when Natalia told me about it, I was like, oh, this is, this is right up our alley. We would love to get Amanda on the show. Um, what is iMaster Health? And, and maybe give us a little bit of insight into why it is that you, you thought that this was something that was needed in, in the world and in, you know, uh, in, the, in the healthcare system. 
Yeah, for sure. So iMaster Health, it's a digital health company and we're targeting chronic health conditions. So really what we're trying to do is utilize technology to be able to provide patients with personalized and evidence-based rehabilitation programs. And then it's accessible through any smart device so we can target people around the world. Uh, the reason why it kind of came about was I was a student working in the Kelowna General Hospital at the Pulmonary Rehab Department, which is rehabilitation for people with chronic respiratory conditions mm -hmm. and we were in the we're in the middle of transitioning actually from an in-person to an online program it was the start of covid and we found that the online program was actually really great with making it more accessible for people so there's a lot of client barriers to actually accessing an in-person program so I thought that was pretty cool, I was working in the industry, and then I did a little bit more research and found that pulmonary rehab is actually like a routine standard of care for people who have respiratory conditions, but it's largely inaccessible worldwide. About 97% of people who have a respiratory disease don't have access to rehab like this. Mm. So kind of being... Um, tech savvy into health and wellness, knowing about all of the different wellness programs that are already available for just general health. I was like, why don't we create something that is more tailored to chronic health conditions? Of course, there's more safety reasons around that. So I worked with a few health professionals and we created like a triage process that puts them into a personalized program. So we're really targeting that safety side of things and yeah, that's kind of how it came out to be. And we launched our pulmonary rehab program September 1st. So it's congratulations. pretty recent. Yeah, congratulations. That's yeah. huge. What is like, I'm just like taking a peek through um, the iMaster Health site right now. And I'm kind of, the thing that I think is popping up for me and something that I think like more broadly about exercise and nutrition um, is that there, there seems to like always be like trends and like cookie, like very cookie cutter, you know, like this like this sport or this exercise is like great or this type of diet or food regimen is great. And it's like, well, the average, like the, the, the individual person is so unique. Um, and then when you start to take into considerations like injuries or, um, or health concerns or conditions that someone may live with, I think like a lot of things, a lot of these cookie cutter sort of, um, things that people promote start to be, start to become, um, less healthy or like less beneficial and maybe, and maybe sometimes just downright like have a negative impact on, on a, on a particular, particular person. What is, what is it about, um, especially like pulmonary rehabilitation that like, what are the sort of like some of the considerations to take into account when providing, um, uh, like an exercise routine, something that's going to be something that's going to help somebody rehabilitate themselves. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of different things that you have to consider, especially with respiratory conditions. One thing that we really look at is how can we improve somebody's quality of life? So individuals that we're targeting, it's really hard for them just to complete daily tasks, such as like walking up the stairs, getting groceries and so on. So although it sounds really simple with being able to provide them with exercises, we still need them to be exercising safely. So this kind of means that they can't over fatigue themselves. We 
guide them through a dyspnea scale or like a breathlessness scale so that they're able to gauge their intensity. And then we're also prescribing them exercises that are targeting their respiratory muscles, but then also very functional movements that are targeting like their everyday activities. So it's really like being able to enhance their quality quality of life, but in a safe progression. Mm -hmm. So kind of how we target that through unsupervised exercise, because the individuals on our site, they're not going back and forth with a healthcare worker, just so we're able to target a large amount of people. But we have what I like to call an exercise prescription plan. So we kind of progress them or regress them. So we always ask them questions about how their exercise session went. Was it too hard, just right, too easy? And then we really tailor that exercise, the next exercise session to fit that. So we're trying really hard not to over fatigue them. We're making sure that they're exercising when they feel their, their best. And then we also have to consider like um, if they're on supplemental oxygen. So we get them to adjust those full levels. Always talk mm. to a doctor or healthcare worker about taking those precautions. But yeah, mm. so there's kind of a variety of things that you have to consider. And then we really narrow it down. There's been mm. lots of research on it though. So we really go off of that. So it's try, try to be evidence-based. I mean, I think like what you're kind of, like the, all the things that you bring up sort of like make the case for the importance of having guidance because there's, yeah. because there are so many considerations. Like when I think back to how, when I got into riding, when I got into cycling, not having any health concerns to sort of, um, to, to, to think about in that endeavor, I would have done, I would have progressed much quicker if I wasn't tiring myself up, myself out to a hundred percent. Every time I rode my bike, I could have gotten much better, much quicker with a more like intelligently designed plan for that. And mm-hmm. then I think, and then when you think about somebody who has um, a whoop strap and sorry. knows exactly <laughs> yeah. how to cycle their training. When, when you, then, when you think about somebody who has a, you know, has like a chronic condition that's like drastically affecting their life. Um, I think those, that guidance becomes like infinitely more important. Is, is it specifically for like, can people, because when I, when I hear you talking about the type of person who this would benefit, like I, I, like I think that like, Oh, that sounds like it could benefit anybody. And I think of there's, I mean, there's a good example of somebody who's like sort of in a gray area here. Um, Jeremy, <laughs> yeah. who has cystic fibrosis, but like like when we first moved into this new studio, um, Jer came in one day and was like, guys, I'm so out of breath from walking up the hill to get here. And I was like, what hill did you walk up? Mm-hmm. And he was like, the like the hill out on the street. And I was like, that's not a hill. That's like, like 3% grade. Like it's barely an incline. And he was like, no, I'm... I'm tired. It was, it's definitely a hill. Like I'm out of breath. I can tell. And so, um, before Jer was on Trikafta, like, you know, he has a chronic health condition that affects his lungs, but also like, I mean, he was also a competitive athlete growing up mm-hmm. and like understands sort of like how he can push his body. Like, where does he fit in to, in terms of like the potential audience for, um, your application? Yeah, so cystic fibrosis is actually one of the respiratory conditions we target. Um, Right now, from our launch, we're really targeting kind of older populations. So the exercise sessions that we provide, they're at home, they're the beginner sessions are mostly in a chair. So, but then the intermediate and experienced sessions, they're a little bit more advanced. But I'd say also we encourage people that if they 
take our sessions. They use it as guidance. They can still perform it in the gym. It's kind of a nice learning lesson too. Like you're able to take them and apply them to your everyday life yourself. So you don't have to be a part of the program forever. Mm. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I think right now, like we're really targeting older populations just because they're a little bit more hesitant to get into rehab. They're people who have a little bit more of severe conditions as well. So we want to help them. But I think in the future and where we're really trying to lead the lead the program into is the preventative mechanism as well. And then also targeting younger individuals so that they're really being able to improve their lung condition mm. early on. So it doesn't progress into a worsening state. Mm-hmm. Something um, that I, that I, I would love to kind of pick your brain about, um, you know, the, the whole, I, I, I feel like uh, be, pre, before COVID, um, I think, you know, just through the conversations we had been having on the podcast over the last seven years, um, it, it became quite evident to us that there, there most certainly is like a, a need for, uh, for, for technology and health to kind of merge together, especially in Canada. Um, and like telemedicine is just like, w- there, there's so many different provinces that are so fucking far behind in the, you know, the, in the sphere of like a blending healthcare from home, utilizing, you know, the, the devices that we have at our disposal. And of course, when COVID happened, we saw like kind of a, a big leap forward in, in that sense. Um, uh, and so, you know, what you're doing here is really cool. Um, but the thing that I'm, I'm kind of curious about, and I'm wondering like what, what part of the process of creating this, um, how much you had to like focus on, uh, the, the tech versus the demographic. So, so, you know, um, taking a, taking an online application, like iMaster health and targeting that towards an older population was there any process in creating this where you were speaking to people about like the actual user interface and and like how to make that sort of um, like pretty streamlined and accessible so that, you know, an 85 year old guy with COPD isn't like scratching his head going like, how the fuck yeah. do I use this thing? Just, you know, like they just had to make it look like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like what was, what was the, what, what, if any, was the process of thinking about the, the UI uh, and, and kind of catering that to a, an audience that um, maybe has like a little bit of a, um, a barrier between them and the way that they kind of interact with their, their devices. Yeah, so throughout like my time working in the industry and then also uh, doing the customer discovery before we like started the app or anything, it was talking to a lot of older individuals and I think it was just realizing that you need to make it as simple as possible, Mm. like something that's not going to confuse them. So that's what we really were working towards. But it was also interesting talking to people and they actually liked having a little bit of a challenge so that they can talk to their grandkids or their kids and get their help with it. And it Mm. kind of creates a little bit of a social um, interaction, I guess. Mm, Uh, So yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to see that, that people are interested in learning, but then there's also people who really don't want to even step foot into it 
which I think there's still the in-person rehab that we're hoping this can even ease off that with uh, taking some clients, offering them online. And there's still some people who are really against technology. They can still have access through in-person. So yeah, it was um, making it as simple as possible, really. But then also understanding that people do like to learn and sometimes it creates a little bit more of a I guess, family gathering too, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, when they're mm-hmm. able to come together with kids and learn something. Yeah, which which I'm, you know, that in turn also just kind of bolsters the relationship between, you know, a patient and their, their you know, their advocates or their caregivers. Like it just, it just creates more, like you said, like more of a sort of community to like come around, gather around the person who needs the, you know, needs the help. What like, I, I wanted yeah, to, I wanted to ask on that too. Like, uh, like what speaking about some of the challenges, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious about like, like getting the users to join. And it makes me think of like, also, I feel like sort of piggybacking on the point that Jer was making about the challenge between our current healthcare system and it's like ability to adopt new technological innovations and innovative technology. Like what has the support been like from the healthcare community and how have you been able to like, what, what sort of challenges have you faced in like getting users to adopt the platform? So the support from the healthcare workers have been amazing. I have been in contact with a lot of healthcare workers across Canada, and they all see this program as very valuable, super accessible. Um, The thing, though, even just like starting off a year ago that I really had to kind of determine that one of the biggest barriers is that I wanted this program to be available for the established pulmonary rehab programs and hospitals and community centers to use and then offer, offer their services through. But the thing with the healthcare system is things take a lot of time. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, so that'd be like, I don't know, a three-year process. So we're starting that though. We're going to be creating that online platform for them. But that's why I initially went with offering this program directly to the clients. So it's privatized. We're able to actually kind of dictate a little bit more of what they're able to get, who we're able to offer it to without having to go through somebody else, which I think is going to be really beneficial in getting it to the user at the end of the day. The biggest barrier, though, with getting it to the user is that with any new technology is that people need to kind of take that leap. And we need the early adopters to sign mm-hmm. up for the program and give feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the biggest challenge is also the demographic being a little bit older, a little bit more hesitant. So it has been challenging finding people to take that leap and start off. But I think with like more resources, uh, eventually I do want to be working with like partnerships with health authorities so that individuals on their wait list for their pulmonary rehab programs, because there's typically like 50 to 100 individuals on that wait list, Mm. they can use this program like during the time until they get into that in-person program. So I think that will also help with kind of going over that barrier of getting people to sign up, um, getting a lot of referrals from healthcare workers as well. Mm. So yeah, there's things to work around it. Lots of people like to listen to healthcare workers that they trust. So that's why I've been in contact with the healthcare providers, such as the physicians, the respiratory therapists, physiotherapists, and they've all been really great. They've been telling their patients about it, but I guess at the end of the day, it takes time and hopefully we can get some good testimonials that say that the program's worth it, but yeah. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank.
I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You, oh. men- you mentioned that um, cystic fibrosis is one of the um, illnesses that would affect a patient that would that would that could use or benefit from this app. Um, like, what are some of the other typical or general illnesses that you would see that would be affected by these types or would benefit from using the app? Yeah. So right now we target chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, asthma, interstitial lung disease, cystic fibrosis, and then bronchiectasis. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took those five. There's been lots of research on those conditions with um, doing unsupervised exercise training. So we found that throughout research, we're able to give these individuals kind of the safest program. Uh, there are, like if you go through the triage process, there's conditions that if individuals have. We kind of, we don't really like it if they have exercise unless they are cleared by a doctor or healthcare worker, but they would still get access to breathing and airway clearance techniques and then educational podcast episodes as well. But it's just from a safety side of things, we want to make sure that everybody is going to be okay on their own doing different exercises. Mm-hmm. Is there is there like a screening process that you that you go through with with clients to to ensure that that safety piece is kind of where it needs to be? Yeah, so it's right when you sign up, we call it the triage form. And it's pretty simple. They just go through it themselves. They answer questions regarding their respiratory condition, other health conditions, and then their level with fitness or their experience with fitness. And then we kind of take that information and then we give them the resources that really are tailored to Mm. what their answers are. Sorry, I'm just curious about like an example of like, let's say that, uh, you know, my grandfather has COPD and... I'm listening to this podcast right now and I'm going, you know what? This sounds great. I, I'm going to get my, my pop signed up. I go home with him and I like go through the triage thing with him. And he is now like in the app. What, what, like, what kinds of, um, what, what does it look like? Like what kinds of exercises or things will he be sort of uh, taking in and, and like feeling inspired to kind of take on when he, when he first starts you know, engaging with the, with iMaster Health? Yeah. So like, I guess how it's organized is we have our homepage. So every week you're going to get a variety of different exercise sessions. They're about 30 minutes to an hour long. So you just follow along with them. And then, uh, yeah, so you can do that whenever you feel you want to participate. And then you also get some breathing techniques or airway clearance techniques, and then educational podcast episodes from health experts. So we give them new resources every week. It's available on their homepage, but then they also have a library of resources that they can access at any time so they can go into um, the breathing page and then they can there's like a yeah variety of different resources different videos and demonstrations so at any moment they can go and watch one they can save it for later they can always go back to it and then same thing with the podcast episodes we have different healthcare professionals talking about different things from like what is your respiratory condition ways to self-manage it and then different like health and wellness techniques Um, And then, yeah, the exercise training is probably the most unique part of it is that 
we have them, we have three categories and then different levels in each category. So we can progress them or regress them along these categories and levels. And then all the exercises are tailored to a respiratory condition. And yeah, so they can either get two to four new exercise sessions each week with a trainer and it really depends if they're in the beginner, intermediate or experience level and they can follow along whenever they, whenever they feel like it. Cool. Sweet. Uh, um, you kind of mentioned this a little bit uh, a few minutes ago when you when you mentioned uh, like working with health authorities and um, you know working like being able to offer something to people who are waiting for like it, are waiting for an in person um, like rehabilitation program um, like something that obviously the internet uh, the internet gives a massive like accessibility advantage um, and and I'm assuming that 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 this would have presented this opportunity even before COVID. But then we get something like COVID where all of a sudden the healthcare system is like, a, you know, becomes even more of a shit show than it ever was before. And waiting times and waiting lists, you know, explode. So like how much of the last couple of years has kind of like pointed you in the direction of, bringing making something like this like more accessible something that people don't have to um you know wait on a list for forever before seeing somebody you know especially i think with with lung conditions that 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 are typically can be chronic and um progressive you know where somebody might have a deteriorating condition and they and you know waiting two or three or more months for care or for like a direction or a plan can be really detrimental to their to their health so like what kind of what kind of like motivation did this whole like accessibility um, for patients like bring into the inspiration to, to make this product? Yeah. So I think like when it started off, I just saw a huge benefit. And when you're, you're training patients and you get to know them, you really see that the benefit you provide them and you're like, wow, I really want to help as many people as I can. And how can we do this? And that was really the motivation to start it off. But then as you go throughout the journey, I met so many wonderful patients who were just so thankful for taking the initiative and even just being able to access rehab. So it really also sparked the motivation to continue and to keep going over those hurdles that you always encounter. And it's also just the, the success stories that you hear of patients. So like patients go from needing a lung transplant to going into rehab for <laughs> six months to not needing a lung transplant to being able to walk five kilometers a day all by themselves. Like it's really incredible the change that you can make in somebody's quality of life, but then also you see like the, their family's quality of life improve as well. They're taking a huge stress off of family members, really helping everybody in the whole or as a whole, really creating that kind of community aspect as well. Um, but yeah, it was, that's kind of the motivation part of things. And then I think also just doing, being in the uh, university lab, doing more research on it, I was pretty motivated by just actually being in the lab and doing experiments. So we would hook each other up to some equipment and then I would have obstructions in like a breathing mask. So mimicking COPD. And mm. although I don't have a respiratory condition, I was being able, like, I was able to see what that feels like. Mm. And it just, cool. it's a whole new world. It's really scary. And I really want to be able to help people like if like ease any breathlessness that we can. And I think this is the best way to provide that help with a, to a lot of people make it accessible. I think that's another barrier with the healthcare system is that sometimes it's harder to access quality resources and stuff, but 
yeah, so kind of a variety of things, but there's a lot of things that want, want me to keep going. I have a, a this is a, this is like a total personal question, but like the the, the when you are um, when you are doing those tests in the lab and you are adjusting uh, um, and and you are you are trying to mimic what it might feel like to have COPD, would that be would that be similar? I'm assuming more drastic though, in terms of like trying to simulate um, like altitude, if you were trying to. Do you know, like, are you restricting like the O2 intake, like the available oxygen, like you would in, in altitude training sort of thing? Yeah. So it's kind of like a little similar. I've actually never done any altitude training, but I have a lot of friends who did that. So I kind of know a little bit about it. Actually, now that I think about it, I was in one research study that was with altitude, but uh, the, the way that we're a little bit different, especially with COPD is that it's expiratory flow limited. So the difference is that your mm. lungs feel like they're always full because you're not able to exhale that air completely mm-hmm. versus like with, so it kind of adds to a little bit of an anxiety feeling. You're feeling that you can't get a proper air out and then you're breathing more air in. So you're kind of always increasing your mm. lung volume. Huh. I think with altitude, the difference is that maybe getting a little bit more lightheaded. There's a little bit more oxygen coming into your system. So yeah, we're, it's harder to exhale carbon dioxide. Mm. That's kind of the, the difference. Interesting. I'm really curious about that, like talking about that feeling of, of like, ang- like that anxiousness that you can sort of feel in your chest when you feel like your lungs are full. Um, I was, uh, I learned about this, this pattern of breathing recently uh, called four, seven, eight breathing which is which is apparently like incredibly helpful for reducing that feeling of anxiety um but it makes me think because I don't really know that much about why the breath is so connected to um our mental health and I'm curious if you can speak to or or know much about like how breathing affects our mental health in addition to our physical health I don't like know anything really that's like scientific based but I think just uh, from the experience I have, why it would be affected is because breathing's so natural for us. So like you're not really thinking about breathing. Like right now, we're really not thinking about how we're breathing our air in and out. But then when you have something preventing that, it's like, oh man, I'm yeah, I, I can't breathe, and that's where you kind of get nervous. I kind of yeah, I don't know. I think of it as in like um, you're like if kind of like uh, if you're sick, you don't really or sorry, like if you're healthy, we don't really think about what it's like to be sick. Mm-hmm. But when you're sick, you're like, it's all man, what would I do yeah. to be healthy yeah. again? Yeah. 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 So it kind of just gives you a new perspective on things. And that's where the anxiety comes from. Yeah. In mm-hmm. my opinion, I think that's kind of maybe how it ties together. Mm-hmm. Well, when we think about, I mean, we, we're all, we all have backgrounds in teaching yoga and there's, there, you know, there's anytime, anytime you are teaching a, a class and you start to do um, any backbending poses. And as those, you know, really m- like sort of, um, like minor backbending positions don't really bring it on. But then as you start to be like do larger and larger backbending positions, you can see it in everybody, you know, that people don't, they don't like the poses. There's a re- there's a really common to not, to not like them just generally and mm-hmm. avoid them or to do them and to come out of the pose, not necessarily because, it doesn't feel good muscularly or, um, or skeletally, if that's a word. Um, but that it, but that it just, you, there's just something in your brain that goes, I don't like this. And because you're, 
your lungs are restricted because of the position of your of your sternum and your rib cage, it just gives you this sense of like this is not right. Yeah, I think I can't it's, breathe the same. It's and also I don't like it. it's also vagus nerve related. So like going into a deep deep back bend is stimulating your vagus nerve, which gets your your sympathetic nervous system running, and you're all of a sudden you you have that like fight or flight type response, mm-hmm. which you're going ah, ah yeah, no 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 I don't, I, like I don't like this yeah, I don't like this because it's the reason why the vagus nerve is called the vagus nerve is because mm-hmm. it's that yeah. feeling of being in vagus losing and like all losing. your money yeah, that's, right. that's it. so much money so much that's money right. that's why yeah. they call that because it's yeah. like just anxiety <laughs> originally inducing. named after Louis Vegas which is what which is what Las Vegas is yes, right Spanish version Amanda you. You're 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 quite young. People can't see you because uh, this is an audio <laughs> podcast. But uh, you you look like you. Uh, my guess is that you know your work in kinesiology and and um, uh, you know your work as a physiologist. Um, you, I'm, I'm assuming you haven't been doing it for for you know a decade. Um, you 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 must be like kind of relatively new within the the sphere outside of outside of school. Um, the fact that you've you've taken this on um seemingly so early in your career is uh first of all very very cool very awesome that you've decided to like you saw this gap and you wanted to fill it i'm wondering how much like how much effort like how much time uh has have you spent kind of sinking your life into this it it, it can't be uh it can't be a small amount of time it, how like was was it has this been has this been stressful for you um yeah it's definitely stressful it's very time consuming it's my full-time job so um I love it though like I although I think maybe that's like the part I'm very ambitious being younger and I love the rehab side of things but I also love the business side of things I think that's kind of where my specialty lies and although I don't have much experience in that being young I think it's a huge opportunity to learn and to kind of make your own experiences I think that's how we learn best too mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's definitely some there's barriers there's hurdles that you have to come over but every day it's new opportunities mm-hmm. like I wouldn't be talking to you guys if I didn't do this <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's um yeah it's really cool I love it there's no bigger bs in the world than a commerce degree no offense to anybody out there <laughs> yeah. with a commerce degree but it's the biggest piece of bullshit that's ever been promoted on the face of the planet because the best thing you can do is just start a business and learn. Speaking, I wanna, of, <laughs> speaking of business, I, I'm curious to know like what the future goals are for iMaster Health. Like where, where do you, you know, it seems like you have a really solid foundation built up already. So where, where do you see this going as, as the, the application develops and as, you know, you start to gain more clients coming to you? Yeah. So right now we are focused on respiratory conditions and the pulmonary rehab program. And so right now, like I mentioned, we're offering it to the patients, but then I want to make a platform for the healthcare workers to be able to access it and put their services on. So I really want to be able to make partnerships in that area. But then also I'm looking at making more of a multi-online rehabilitation clinic. So targeting other chronic health conditions. Um, My experience was in respiratory care. So I think it's really interesting though to look in other areas and is a needed thing throughout a lot of health conditions. So we're going to be starting making some rehabilitation programs targeting oncology, uh, mental health, musculoskeletal disease, uh, diabetes prevention, uh, and cardiac rehab. So kind of 
targeting each of those areas, getting new healthcare workers on to be able to offer their expertise to individuals and then really take the program worldwide. Like right now we're in Canada and US just because of different health regulations, but then we wanna be able to offer these services throughout the world. So create more programs that are targeting different cultures and ethnicities, kind of have to consider what other people like the anatomy of different ethnicities so we have to be able to like create adjust the programs to that so yeah it's the future direction we're hoping to go to maybe um do a lot more like client provider care calls now too so although we're wanting to reach a large amount of people so we're using technology for that we still want to create a community be able for the patients to have access to healthcare workers. So that's what we're working towards as well, probably in the near future for that. So patients are able to just schedule a call with a healthcare worker if they have questions, want to consult or something like that. But that's kind of the directions. It's so it's so interesting. I I think of uh, Jerry. You actually sent me this link the other day to a um, private healthcare clinic here in Nova Scotia, the first one of its kind. Mm-hmm that is operating on this like subscription model. So you pay $22 a month to get to get access to their doctors. And in addition to that $22, every time you go, you pay $20 and that's it. Hmm. Um, but Which there is extremely accessible for, you know, for the most part, you know, like, yeah, I mean, well, so it is, but bucks. there's also the, um, you know, there was a lot of, so I read a few articles about this because I was curious about it. And there's a lot of sort of negative feedback in the community because people are like, this is, you know, we're moving towards a private healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it fucking sucks because like there's a hundred thousand people in Nova Scotia on a wait list to get a family doctor right now. And instead of making public healthcare better and more accessible, we're moving towards mm-hmm. these private options. And so I understand both sides, but as like, as a, you know, patient who's you're on the, that list yeah, you're of a hundred thousand people, yeah. I'm like, well, fuck, I need to see a yeah. doctor. Like yeah. I need public health to be better, but like, what are my options at yeah. this point? I, I think, and, I think that there's, there's a bit, I think there's probably a big, the same way that everything seems to be divided into black and white right now. It's like, you're either this or you're that. You know, you're either on this side or you're on that side. I think thinking that things need to be either public or private is also the wrong way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like there can be, you can have a mix, yeah. you can have a public system and having, and I don't know how to do this. And this is a big question, obviously, but how do you introduce a private sector that makes it, that, that, that doesn't overhaul the system or make the public sector, the public system worse, mm-hmm. um, but alleviates pressure from the from the public system because yeah. people mm-hmm. who have the financial means to access private options allow the public system to be less stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I agree with that too, done, but, but, but uh, I guess I wanted to throw this to you, Amanda, and ask, um, because you mentioned at the start, like, like part of your motivation in doing this was making these types of programs more accessible. I'm curious, like, what are the costs associated with... Um, you know, subscribing to this application or, or using your application. And obviously like with the ambition to like make this more holistic in terms of offering all these other services, like what does that look like? Is it following that, that like private healthcare type of model? 
Yeah, so the subscription is like a monthly subscription or annual subscription that we have. And starting off, since we just launched, it's $20 a month. And then you get a reduced price if you sign up for the year subscription. But I think like just adding to what you guys are saying about public to private, uh, I think it's more of a, you need to work together on that. So that's mm -hmm. why I do want to work with the health authorities, be able to like even if the health authorities want to purchase the subscriptions, which I've had those conversations with them. So they're paying for that for their um, clients to stay on their wait list. But then once individuals graduate from their rehab programs, which is typically around like eight to 10 weeks long, they're already encouraged to go out into the community and find a program that's right for them, whether that be a gym membership or like group fitness classes, which you already are paying that money for. So I think this is just another resource to add to that. It's mm -hmm. more personalized. It's mm -hmm. more accessible being online. So you can take it anywhere you go. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's just working together. Uh, I think privatized programs and then public programs really need to kind of find that balance on how can we offer maybe private care to improve the access for public care and yeah. vice versa. But yeah, yeah. I, that's my goal to do that. I, I totally agree. And I, and I think with what you're saying about like, you know, the public programs, even subcontracting private companies who are doing a good job at providing or creating these resources or, or mm -hmm. like filling a gap in what is already, yeah. you know, missing in the system is, is a great way to sort of like in the interim time, handle some of the problems that we're facing. Like the fact that people are sitting on wait lists, whether it's to see a fam family doctor or get into an in-person rehab program. That means that those are people who, like Taylor said, could have deteriorating or progressive conditions that are not getting the care that they need. And the priority should be getting them the care they need, yeah. you know, above all else, like whatever that looks like at, at this time or whatever the best way is to do that at this time. I think like mm. we, that's, that's up for, that, that will always be up for debate. But yeah. the fact is, is that there are people who aren't getting the care that they need. Yeah. And mm. one, and one of the, and, 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 and the, the pro to anything private is always is always going to lie in in um, cost efficiency mm -hmm. because it, because private because it's about because you can't health Canada can operate out of at a deficit and go into the pocket of the central bank forever, but com private companies can't, and so private companies will do things efficiently. For cost, not all the time, but for the most part, because profit or at least covering costs matters more to a private company than it does to a public one. Mm -hmm. I think the big the and just to like highlight the big point, I think that the people who are sort of protesting or or who are against this private uh, healthcare clinic opening up in Nova Scotia is the fact that like if that is the solution for now, then do, the question is is does that uh, disincentivize the government to solve a problem in a mm. failing system. Mm. You know, like yeah. yep. that, that is like the biggest thing is like, like if we go with this solution for now, do the people who are, does the broken system not get fixed? This is something that we should like dive into more. Totally. More yeah. broadly. Yeah. 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 Um, Amanda, what, uh, how can people find, uh, iMaster health? What, what's the, what is the website? Where do people sign up? All that good stuff. Yeah, the website is just imasterhealth.com. So you can throw that into your Google search. And then um, right at the top, 
it's really easy to find. You can start your seven-day free trial. So we allow people to look at the program, um, see if it's right for them. If they don't like it, they're, it's really easy to just cancel your subscription before the billing starts. And there's also a bunch of free resources on our YouTube channel. We're kind of adding to that slowly. Um, so for people who might not need a whole rehab program, they just need like those five-minute videos to access maybe once a week. They're welcome to that. Um, but yeah, it's super easy to find. iMasterHealth.com. Sweet. That's awesome. Amanda, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for A, creating this. Very cool. Uh, and, and B, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and give us some insight into the work that you do. Uh, it's very, very cool, and and uh, we're really stoked that you took time to chat with us. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I'm really excited to be here and love your podcast, so it's going to be kind of cool to see myself on it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipway. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.